What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Random Car Guys. Mike and here, your host, back with another episode. Um, another another guy from Wales on the podcast. This is good. This is good stuff for everyone out here. Um, recently had uh, another mate of mine who actually lives out here and, and is a designer for Recaro. He lives in Dallas now, but we both grew up playing golf together in uh, in Bridgend. But um, David Guither on the podcast, uh, Death Spray Custom. Uh, on a little death spray on Instagram. Uh, just an artist? Is that how? Is that what you'd call yourself? I mean, I'd, I'd love to call myself that. That's kind of what I've been sort of driving to all these years. You know, just you know, it's what other people call you, and if other people can call you an artist, I'll, I'll be happy with that. Yeah. yeah. So I do a little bit of research this morning, um, looking back some of the old videos that have been done and, and videos that come up on your YouTube or Google your name and and you know some of the the car liveries that you've done. And I love that you only do one of something, which is, I love that. Um, but there, I think there was a quote in one of the videos that said like, uh, it was on Andreas is one of his videos, Andreas backwards videos that said, you know, I grew up in a rally car. Like who else was going to design these, you know, these rally cars. I grew up in one. And yeah. it just reminded me of like, pissing down rain at the top of a mountain <laughs> watching WRC cars fly by. Yeah, I mean, like you said, you just said, oh, you're not a Welsh guy on the podcast. It's like, well, where I'm from, there's nothing else to do but be in a car, right? In, in, in the sort of early 80s, uh, there, there's nothing else to do. There really is nothing else to do. So it was weekends, a good weekend would be going out to watch to stage if it was um rac rally which is the sort of national international rally in the uk most of it took place in wales it would be spread out over the country but a lot of it would be in wales so um and that, that would be like an hour and a half drive from where i live so i live in quite a remote part of the country and yeah i'd be sitting in the back of a an rs2000 um with some bigger boys some blokes and my old man and we would just be waiting for um a car to drive past in the yeah. middle of the night and that's 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 that counted as extreme entertainment in those days yeah definitely it's better than going fishing and camping out all night by the side of the water isn't it at least you got the sound of an rs2 some whatever coming by full chat sideways through welsh forest yeah i mean it's when i um was first talking to Duke ken block it was like um you know he's worked with other people before whatever doing all that sort of stuff with Andreas and Ken and uh, it was it was a good crap because it was you know literally doing a job where it's like it's probably like being like a professional footballer it's like you know a couple of them being paid to do this yeah so you got got into I guess rallying and and watching stuff like that because you're old man yeah I mean um, my dad was into cars um, doing cars I got into bikes because my dad was into cars. That's the kind of the circle, you know, you all sort of rebel a little bit. So I got into motorcycles when I was uh, sort of 10, I suppose, and dirt bikes. And um, there was always the background noise of cars. Um, he'd always be in the garage. And we'd like the, the sort of list of cars we've had in the family is insane. Stuff like um, Renault Turbo 2s, uh, all sorts of Carrera and Porsches. Uh, he built the first, Lotus 7 with the V8 engine you know all sort of 
Morris Minor, the slot mags, and all these sort of great things now that I've got such great sort of um, nostalgia value. And it seems like the further we get from it as well, the more that it becomes popular, like Mark II Escorts and all this sort of stuff. So, yeah, it was always a background helmet of cars. And um, the older I've got, I've come more back into it sort of thing, more back into yeah. cars. Um, so now it's like... I've got an Evo and I, I'd like them to have it. So when they're sub 16, they've got this like, super, super rad, really old rally car but by the time they're sort of you know, 17. So yeah. That'd be interesting. Is, uh, so the Evo that you have, is it like stripped out or is it like comfortable but still a bit raw? It's, 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 it's comfortable. It's, 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 it's still pretty much a road car that's been tweaked. It's not had anything excessive done to it it's got a mild bit of tuning on it it's got a lot of things I don't know what they are so when I went to I had the suspension a uh, whole new suspension set up put, put on it and um, it's got some sort of Japanese electronics in it that I'm quite not sure what it is because there's no manuals on it so I said just I was shocked actually when I first drove it to the guys they it did a tank of petrol from Pembrokeshire to um, Cumbran which is about sort of hour 45 minute drive I don't know what it's about 90 miles yeah. or something like that and um, I said it's at the wrong car because it's just gone through half a tank and he said no no that's what it does it's because it's got a really tiny tank right it's got like uh, I think it's like got a 45 litre tank yeah on it, which is like really small so in the UK it costs about um, £35 or £40 to fill it up it's, it's, which is in the UK, that's kind of not a lot of money to fill the, the gas tank up. Yeah, but, which is what usually um, fill half a Fiesta now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's the thing. Was why I liked Evos was, you know, it's always the Impreza Evo sort of debate, and the Evo is less power, but it's lightweight. It's got aluminium bodywork. It's got a small gas tank. It's, it's, it's a bit more sort of tricker, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I mean it's a. I love the color scheme too, like just all black with a bit of a, you know, you put your little white kind of diamond on the front, a half, you know, triangle, whatever it is at the front. Like it's in the white, the 52, you know, 1552 wheels. Just, it's just, it's a good looking car, isn't it? It's simple. Yeah. I put like, um, the sort of Marlboro Chevron on it. So it's like a sort of black, black Marlboro car. So it's like an evil Marlboro. Not like that Marlboro is good, but it's like an even eviler Marlboro sort of livery. So yeah. I had a light pod for it as well. So um, it just seems to all work out that it's got like a white light pod and that white sort of diamond on it. And it's just, you know, as they say, a chef doesn't want to cook when he gets home. And I didn't want to create like a really crazy looking car because it's like my sort of personal car. So it's just enough to make it interesting. Yeah. So that, you know, old man always had stuff going on, always had building cars, like, and you got into the bike side. When does like the just design stuff side? Cause like back home, no one really likes to modify stuff, do they? Like they buy their car, they may put wheels on it or they buy terrible looking lights for their Saxo and that's about it. But mm. out here in the States, like they, they buy a 720S and they just slammed it and put wheels on it within the first month, you know, like yeah. what got you into modding stuff and designing and cause all your stuff's car paint, isn't it? So it's, it's the wrong way around of looking at it for me. Like I got into, I developed as a, you don't sort of become an artist. You sort of, it takes such a period of time. It's like to be a writer, 
you know, you can, if you write a book, that doesn't make you a writer. You know, it's just because you've written something. It's the same with art. It's like just because you do something. You have to assume this identity over time. So I learned this sort of technique. And then over a period of years, I realized I had a sort of a look and a sort of voice and a sort of style that I sort of developed over time. And um, the sort of inspiration was sort of stuff from my youth. So it was like early skate graphics, Jim Phillips, car stuff, and this very simple analog way of looking at things, which in the terms of what my style was worked really well because it's very sort of graphic. So everything I try and do looks like it's been made by hand rather than like a modern version where you can just print it out and just apply it. Um, so having that limit meant I had a sort of certain style, which meant that it kind of stands out because it's very sort of simple and basic and it's just trying to make ideas communicate rather than like, I haven't got an idea, let's just do loads of crazy lines sort of thing. So when I got into the car sort of stuff, it's just because of the sort of style I was doing. And that's why, so Brian Scotto, who's Ken Brock's great director, Hoonigan and everything he saw all my stuff that I did on bicycles and completely non-car related stuff and um, so it wasn't a sort of conscious decision to get into cars sort of thing so I've always been into cars it's just it's never been sort of a thing I've been working with and when we were first talking about doing Ken's cars it was like I really liked your stuff I've seen it for years and he saw a post about a car and he's like oh shit you're into cars as well I said yeah it was just it's just not the sort of thing I was I like to talk about or communicate and over time it's sort of become a little bit more to it but I'm not a car designer by any means I'm not a car graphics guy I'm just a guy who likes cars so um, it's like, that's like with the Evo it's just I got the Evo because I like that car Yeah. Um, but I definitely wouldn't consider myself a car design or anything there's, there's people that do it like very good people that do it for a living I just try and do it in my sort of style so when people approach me to do it it's like can you do what you do for us rather than saying can you just do this in blue you know which is what a, a jobbing car graphic designer or whatever would do yeah that's kind of separates the two sort of things so the sort of art on cars is a basically sort of an accident I suppose yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, when you look down, like go to your website or look down the Instagram and see the stuff that you've designed, like, you know, I think it's such a variety of stuff, isn't it? I mean, it's not, I think the race suits you've done are awesome. The helmets obviously I think is probably what people, you know, if they watch the Jim Connor, you know, the, the documentary they'll know and that, you know, they'll see you in that and that you designed Ken's helmets, um, or his brain buckets as he likes to call them. Um, and then, you know, like, that's I, I assume that's what's come from the bike side of things is there's only so much room on a bike to paint and you know do your thing and the helmet is just another accessory of that yeah I mean it's um it all came from that I wanted something for myself you know just I wanted a sort of certain style of helmet and um I don't know if you've ever googled helmet paint design and it's a certain look to it yeah and it's not the look I like I like this sort of very basic Nelson Piquet helmet, Nigel Mansell helmet, the sort of that sort of era sort of stuff where it's very plain. Yeah. Um, and I always sort of reference that because in the, in the olden days, you'd see a helmet and you'd, you'd see the, you know what driver it is, right? Or, or 
if it's Randy Mamola, you could tell the helmet, is that right? Is that rider or, or, or driver? And throughout their career, you can identify them. So, uh, Damon Hill, what's his dad called? Damon Hill, what's Damon Hill's dad called? Oh, I can't remember. Anyway, so they both had the same sort of helmet. Um, Senna, you know, Senna is probably a bit different, but, but they all had a very sort of graphic, basic analog style that looks really handmade and not computerized. And that's the sort of aesthetic I was went, went through. So that's what I wanted for myself. And nobody could really, I couldn't trust anybody to do it, to be yeah. so restrained. So I just did it myself. And that's how that sort of, that sort of that, that, that's how that moved along. Um, and the sort of analogy of it now is if you look at like car, like F1 drivers' helmets, this had a sort of a weird sort of movement now where they're trying to be more personality in the helmets. But if you look at most F1 drivers' helmets, they probably have this sort of very basic, very family tree of look to it, where it's a very sort of certain sort of style. Mm-hmm. And it's come from when they were karting. So when they had their first kart helmet, it's a certain type of style helmet. And whoever did it, they've carried that design all through their career. Sure. So everybody's got the same sort of very sort of rigid structured helmet that they try and customize by adding layers and effects and things like that. But it's still, there's no idea when it's just graphic design, I suppose, pure graphic design. Yeah. And uh, that's what I want to get away from to be, to create helmets that looked really sort of distinct and unique and like Andreas's helmet that we did, didn't really see it much in, in Jim Carter or in, in Amazon documentary is, was about, um, so Ken had a brain helmet. It's like a, just painted like a brain. And his was, um, um, there's this thing called phrenology, which is um, sort of Victorian way of thinking that the brain, each section of the brain was for like thinking about loneliness or, or um, uh, desire. So there's like a very famous sort of sculpture where we have all these sort of sections of the brain for each sort of thought. And all it was, was each sort of section was like tacos and, crisps and candy bars because all he did was like eat shit all day yeah and it was a black helmet with just white writing on it so it stands out miles because it's so simple so that was the sort of the sort of origin of the story of what I was doing and then the more I've developed the more I I said I I, the more I get a voice for what I want to do so that's why I do more paintings and things like that that's kind of my main interest yeah but like it, this obviously started out as a hobby right like you didn't from day one think I'm going to be an artist like you've gone to school no. you've gone to university or whatever it is like I know you live on a farm too right so that's that take doesn't just take care of itself yeah it's um um like, like I said about being a writer or anything sort of creative you, you, it takes a lot of time to do it and a lot of time to sort of find what you're trying to do uh, so I realized I wanted to do something new, but I didn't realize what it was going to be. So as I started applying it and doing it and doing terrible work, rubbish things that I would be, you know, I would never show, but I learned so much by doing it and go, well, that's not working. That's working. Okay, let's do that a bit more. And then, uh, over a period of years of doing it in, in, in your hobby, your spare time after work or whatever, there's a point where you have to go, do I want to do this or not? 
And if you want to be a writer or a, a, an actor or anything that's sort of risky in terms of what, what it is, you have to have that conversation with yourself and say, right, if I want to be this, I have to do this. And I have to assume the identity of that person. So the, the longer you sort of wait and take the paycheck of the job, the further away you're going to get to be that person. And you can't be too. You have to be that identity of that person, of that actor, or the writer, or artist. Um, so there it becomes a point where the sort of rope phrase where you have to go, this is my life now, and I leave that behind. And that's sort of the point where you sort of risk it all, I suppose. But you need to make sure you, you can have money to work and have, yeah. you know, you've got to pay for everything. But um, you can't be a slashy. I know, but every, these days with the millennials there is a slashy DJ slash barista sort of thing but sure. do one thing well you've got to do that thing well and you've got to concentrate and commit to it because um, the more you sort of try and balance the things the more you can't be that person you can't be that identity yeah when when was that moment for you? Um, good question I think um there was a moment when I realized I wanted to do something and no longer sort of do something I wasn't happy to do as a job, mm-hmm. which is probably about two years later, three years later, that's when I decided, okay, I have to assume the identity now. Um, probably about 2008, yeah. maybe, 2008, 2009, the worst year to do it with flash <laughs> Um But... Um, you know, I had that conversation with my accountant and he said, I said, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm doing this now. I'm an artist. Well, I'm, I want to become an artist. I want to be an artist. And I was like, you know, it's basically financially suicide, but you have to do it. You, know, you have to do it if you want to do it. You know, like, so I've got, I still have friends that aspire to do it, and but they're still doing their sort of, you know, nine to five sort of thing. Like it's, it's, you level, you'll always be in that, that mindset. Mm-hmm. And it's something that people, really wealthy people say, like millionaires say, it's like, if you want to be rich, you've got to think that you're rich. You've got to be rich. Even if you've got nothing, you've got to be, not worry about the empty wallet in your pocket. You've got to be not worry about taking a hundred bucks out of the cash machine and thinking about it. You've got to, it's almost like you've got to be in character. And I think that's the same in anything where, um, like you said, you're an athlete when you were doing this before. It's like, it's the same sort of thing. It's like, are you taking that seriously as an athlete or are you, are you pretending to be it? You know, and you have to sort of commit to it. Yeah. I think a lot of people still, I mean, I just from listening to what you said, I struggle with that. I think, I, you know, you juggle a few things, you try to see if a few things work, but you never really go fully into it. Right. And then, you've got to one day and you've got to, because if you don't, you go five, 10 years down the line and then there's definitely no looking back from there because that's even bigger suicide, you know, financial suicide to try and do it then. Right. Yeah. And it also, it's like, um, there's, there's, there's two parts of it. It's one thing is like, if you don't believe in yourself, nobody else is going to, yeah. right. So you've got to, I know this is off topic in terms of what cars are, but I'm really interested in, in, the sort of mentality of of being a creative, I suppose. Um, so, 
if you don't believe in anybody else, well, so how are you going to convince somebody else? So how are you going to convince somebody else to be your coach or buy your work or give you an audition? And the second thing is, um, I forgot what the second thing is because the first thing was the first one was so good. <laughs> uh, when when you know when when you decide to make that jump and you know you, I'm going to become an artist, I'm going all in. When was like that, you know, that breakthrough? Like, are you at that point? Are you still designing bike stuff? Are you doing helmets? Are you like you just doing anything you can? Like, what, you know, when's the breakthrough? And I guess what what was it? I think um, first time I sold something was a big was a big deal, and my first sold sold something was like, oh, what some this could work you know, somebody liked something and um, that was a big breakthrough because that's when I thought, oh, am I, am I an artist now? Because somebody's bought something. And I thought I was and then I realised, no, I'm not because I'm not happy with that mm-hmm. work. I'm not happy with that direction. So it still takes, it's still hard even now to say, somebody says to you on the phone, like, uh, what's your occupation? It's like, I'm, I'm an artist. It's still always like, it's still a little bit <laughs> bad saying it. It's a bit of a process syndrome there. Um, but um, yeah, it's taken. It takes a while to sort of assume identity. Yeah, straight off the bat, like, is it? Because I think artists probably they struggle with pricing their work, right? Struggle with what? Sorry, pricing. Like, yeah, yeah, I suppose, yeah. Because if you yeah, sell something, you're like, oh, this is 10 grand. I can sell this for 10 grand. Then you think you can sell everything else for 10 grand. But it's like selling that first piece is the hard work, right? For the price aspect. Well, you've got to understand that every artist's work is worth zero, right? <laughs> it's all worth zero. Yeah. Unless it's cost a $20 piece of glass, then you can say, well, it's worth about $15 because it's a used piece of glass. Yeah. So technically, it's, it's worthless. It's just all it is down to is what people are willing to pay. Right. So um, um, there's the sort of supply and demand element where you can make five pieces of work, but you know you could sell ten of them. So already it creates this tension in, in yeah. the value of that work. Um, but this this is this important thing is. And this is for everybody who who's, thinks about becoming an artist or, or some, some younger person who's interested and in, would like to do it. It's like you can't do it for money. Because it's mental. It's insane. It's the worst job in the world to do for money. It's, it's just not, makes any sense. So if you want to make money, work in a bank, work in finance, become an equity guy, venture capitalist, whatever you can do, that's if you want to make money. You'd be unhappy, miserable. You can't do it for money, and I don't do it for money. And even if I was broke on the dole, whatever, I'd still be doing this. You know, so it's not you don't take that as it's not it's not like a marriage sort of thing. Um, even if I won the lottery, I won two hundred million, I'd still be doing this. So it's it works both ways. You know, it's like you do it because you want to do it, and you keep striving it. And I did a video for barber clothing and in it I said um, I quit all the time I quit this job all the time I quit this morning (laughs) but I'm back because ideas are what drives it Mm. and 
it's so hard in, in the bad times when you're not making any money and you're at the best job in the world, but it's killing you because you're not selling any work or nobody's interested or whatever. It's just hard to, to be the CEO, the, the financial director, the caretaker, and you sweep the floors. You know, there's a lot of roles you've got to assume. So when it goes wrong, it's, or it's not working very well, it's tough because it's like my best, the dream job is horrible. You might find that as, as an athlete as well, but you have a bad day and it's like, oh God, this is the worst, but I can't, I love it. So yeah, I quit all the time, but I have an idea or I have a thing in my head. It's like tickling me and say, oh, this would be a good thing to do. And it's like, and that's what brings you back constantly. You know? it's, yeah. And that's the thing why, come hell or high water, I'll be doing this same thing. And it's irrelevant of an audience or money or anything. It's just because you enjoyed, you enjoyed doing it. Yeah. Where, with you know, the ideas are always going to come because that's just the way your brain is wired, uh, especially being an artist. Is there, are you just drawing you know, uh, inspiration from like things you've done in the past, childhood experiences. I know you mentioned going back to like older cars because of all these experiences you've had in the past. And is that where it comes from or is it, or do you go like seeking for it? Um, I mean, you mean the ideas? Yeah. Like are you go, are you saying on, yeah. you run on road trips and seeking out inspiration? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Like, yeah. You know, or you just, um, is it, it's it's interesting because um, there's no there's so many ways of of talking about ideas and where they come from and you know it's like um, inspiration to different people comes in different ways and it, it's there's there's a lot of creative techniques you can use to stimulate yourself to think of ideas and it's like Brian Eno who was David Bowie's producer was big into this where he created a lot of these techniques for when you're constantly creating there's no time to breathe so you've got to have methods to create ideas for me it's like there's probably about sort of 10 or 15 things happening at once in terms of like ideas and it's like if you imagine like a bar graph of all these different bars of ideas and some some might be early on some might be midway through and some might be quite complete and I might be working on something and then a new idea will come in and I have to sort of slot that in below and you're kind of constantly sort of making things happen sort of thing. Yeah. And that's quite an abstract idea, but um, you might be at the supermarket and you see something on a, a candy wrapper and it's like, oh, that, I can see that color combination really working well for this, this slow idea that's taken ages to develop. So you're constantly sort of mm-hmm. sort of moving things around in a chart of things of, of development in there's two sort of ways of doing it. One is like, so the brain helmet, as we should reference, it's like, it's such an obvious thing. It's, it's almost not an idea. You know, it's like a brain on a helmet. And it's, it's like, yeah, it's obvious, right? But the, the best thing about it is that it was done in a way of an old-fashioned analog style, so it really stood out. So it looks like, oh, you can see that brain from my way. Yeah. So the idea was in the execution of, of the way that sort of, was applied the sort of the hoods you know all those sort of racing car hoods with all those slogans mm-hmm. that was literally oh that would be a good idea to do NASCAR but like this and take it like like deconstruct it because I'd worked on the NASCAR with Nelson Piquet Jr and when we were sort of doing it um, they send you a template of the car 
Um, because it's sort of a control series, you've got control sponsors. I don't know if you know that. I don't know if you follow NASCAR. So as an F1, you've got all these sort of tyres effects, but, you know, suppliers are all different. NASCAR, the oil, the mechanics gloves, everything else is sort of set. And there's about 35 or, or 55 sponsors already on the car before you even do anything. And when I saw that, I was like, oh, fucking hell, this is like... What what's left to do because you've got this rigid structure you've got to work around and I was just sort of thinking oh how do we destroy this construct that I've got to work with and that's where that's all I did and was literally like oh NASCARs would be good but like if they were angry or like a, a bit sort of twisted and that's where that sort of idea came from so that was literally a sort of eureka moment and then it was a case of then having the bars are up so how do I develop that look but um works visually you know and not repeats itself was like the kind of breakthrough i say breakthrough but was like the car stuff be has that just evolved because of like when scotto gave you that call and said sorry dogs are barking muppets um was that when scotto gave you the call has everything just gone cars a lot from there or was it before that and they just saw some of your car stuff no, I, I, I think the last car was with Alpine Stars. I did that in it must be 2011 or, or 2012. Um, the cars, it's not, it's just um, that sort of bonnet series is, I've done that three times now for three different shows mm-hmm. and over about three, four year gaps between each show. And it's finished now. I'm not really doing it again. So, Uh, it's just a sort of have I done car since Ken? No, we've done about four car projects together, so it probably looks like there's a lot more cars. And I don't only ever do it um, if it's interesting or I can do something I've not done before. You know, because like people come to me and say, "Will you? Can you? Can you do my rally car?" And it's like a privateer guy, you know, in Spain or whatever. Yeah, it's like well, I've done Ken Block, so it's kind of hard to do to do just a rally car. It's like because it's it's um it's hard to find the you know the interest in doing another rally car because it's you know right because you've done Ken. I had this I had this I had this with F one like an F one team approached me and it didn't really work out, but because I'm a bit of a dick, but. <laughs> Okay, I can qualify a dick in my attitude because yeah. they were like, oh, you're going to love to do this with us. So uh-huh. I was like, hang on a minute. Yeah. It's like, we're going to promote you. So I've just done work with Ken Block. He's the most famous car driver in the world. Yeah. No offense, but blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And it didn't... It, we didn't work out because they didn't even, I think the team folded in the end anyway, so we work, work out which team it was. Yeah. Um, but it's, that's true, it's like finding the right things to be, to, to kind of evolve and move forward and I don't want to be doing cars forever, but I'll do them if they're interesting and they're yeah. cool or they take me somewhere different. You know, so if the guy, if the guy in the rally car in Spain said, oh, I got a, uh, a funny drag, a funny top fuel dragster. I'd be like, oh, that'd be really interesting, you know. And then it's like a different, different direction again, you know. So, um, what? Uh, yeah, what did you say you've done four projects with Ken. What are the cars that you did? 
Um, we did. Um, we did the. The first thing we did was the Focus RS with Rallycross team, mm-hmm. which was a sort of three D glasses cut look in the car. We yeah. did that. We did the helmets. We did the suits. Then we did. Um, well, actually, I did quite a few projects because the way that things fell in terms of their order. So we did the RSRX rally cars focus the M Sport team, which is in the Amazon documentary, which is yeah. a very good watch. Um, and then after that, we said, "Oh, would you like to do the Jim Carner stuff?" So the Jim Carner ten, there's five cars for that. Just because the way that sort of fell in production, he didn't really want to do introduce a new artist and a new set of work within that because it would be like my work and then another another guy's work and then Jim Carner work and just kind of have a bit of flow to it. So we did the Jim, we did the RSRX, we did the Jim Carner 10, then we did the um, um, 2018 team, which is the the Escort Cosworth that burnt down. Sure. I don't know if you've seen that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was a stock RS Cosworth rally car we did that it was on his boat and we did a, another RSRX for American Rallycross American Rallycross Global Rallycross I think that's what it's called yeah. and then after that we did Jim Carner Climb Carner with a truck from China yeah. so it was like a the Jim Carner 10 car but it's but a tweak on it and then Troy Lee done the stuff since then it must have been cool for you to do the Kazi is it? yeah I mean it's um so all the cars that less people that certain people people love all the the, Hoonic, the Hoonicorn is the one that just kids love because it's such a childish car it's such an overblown you know cartoon of a car but yeah definitely that uh, Escort Cosworth is up my street but then the Mark 2 he's got a Mark 2 two wheel drive Escort which is like really up my street and, uh, um, you know he's got great taste and he, he's got RS200 he's got everything you'd want to have you know, Ford to do so well with him. Fortunately, they don't have a car or market in the states that can really utilize him as a as a as, a, as an athlete. You know. Yeah, I really wish that I was just after watching that documentary, and I think well, I watched a recent video of Ken going drifting with his daughter for the first time and teaching her how to do figure eights and stuff. I'm like, how much is it to me for me to get you know a, a Mark One or a Mark Two out to the states? just a rolling shell. I can find an engine for it and, you know, just build one. Cause you just don't see them out here. And I think it'd be so, you know, no one's going to, you roll up to a car shop anywhere and no one, not many people are going to have a slammed wide bodied, you know, especially if you've got a V8 in it or something like it's just, just stands out. Um, what do you want? Mark two or Mark one? Oh, I like the boxy style of the Mark two, but Honestly, right now I'd take anything. <laughs> but yeah, the two is, I don't know. I, I, I like the two because of what Ken has done with his and just the stance of it. But, yeah, I'm looking now at about 30 grand. Yeah. You're looking th- that's not even from Mexico. It's just a mark two. Yeah, like, you can build the rest of it. I mean, it was gonna, it's a project. It's not, because if you want to buy a fully one that's already done, I mean, it's six figures. You're not, especially because the ones yeah, that are kind of rally spec and, People have spent hundreds on them. Yeah, Mark One Alan Mann re- racing replica 
escort thirty four thousand pounds, which is forty five thousand dollars now, fifty thousand bucks. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we did those projects, and then and then it was time to move on. Um, um, but yeah, it's um, it's nice. It's, it's 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 hard. It's not easy. People think it's really easy to slap on the thing on the car. It just doesn't work like that. It's very there's just five different cars that are completely different so things that work on a Fiesta which is a really great car to work on because it's, the wheelbase is so the overhangs are so small yeah. on, on a Fiesta and it's just really nice shape and the thing that works on the Mustang doesn't work on the Escort Cosworth because they're just completely different feels and shapes and it's not it's, it's quite difficult to do and it sounds a bit like um I'm not a nurse. I'm not in a really proper hard job or doctor. It's like, don't worry with me, but it's like not as easy as people think of designing a car. You know, it's, um, yeah, it's quite, quite a tricky balance. And then you've got, it's, it's, it's technically a commercial job. So you've got to make sure Ken's happy and you know, it's, it's, um, it worked out well. I was happy with it in the end. Yeah. 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 The, what for, so being around those cars in person, like what is, I'm sure you've been around them. Like, what is any what are the ones that just that are just mental? I mean, they're all mental, but like, tell me about the experience of the first time being around some of those cars. Um, have you met anybody really famous before? Like, really famous, uh, and they always go, "Oh, they're smaller than I thought." You know what I mean? And it's like, yeah. oh, they're just people. So it was always like seeing some of the cars, like some of the cars. He keeps sort of it the older cars you see them it's like oh I know you because I've seen your video about 10 times or whatever so it's the familiarity is um, is interesting just because you're just sort of like oh I thought this, this car's going to be bigger and it's like it's like a lot smaller but it's the same thing with cars any sort of cool racing car is and you see this in Goodwood the festival of speed is Cars are race cars are shit. They're like dirty and rough and peeling and dented and scraped and. But that's why they're so good, right? Because they're like you've got all this sort of history and. Character. I wonder where that scratch is from. Where's that dent from? And I've got some parts from the rallycross cars in my workshop and. They've got they zip tied together. All these they've been smashed up and they've been zip tied together. So they're like it's almost like stitches, and that's when so the cars become great because they're used and they've got these scars and these marks. And when we did the PK NASCAR, he slammed it in the wall at like lap fifty, right, and retired. And it was the best thing he could have done. He wasn't going to win because he was in like twentieth place or something. So I'd rather win a bust any day. And we've got photos of sparks and, and they, they come into the pits and the, the NASCAR mechanics are just fantastic. Smashing the car, pulling on the body and just, it was just such a great thing to see. And now Pine Stars have got their, this part of the car up on their wall in their office because without that smash and it's got my logo on it and everything without that smash on the wall it wouldn't be on the wall in the office right it's slipped yeah. on in a much better way than it just trundling around into ninth place or whatever 
Yeah. Um, and that's what you, when you see any sort of cars like a Goodwood, it's just like you look at them and you just go, oh shit, they are dirty and the aluminium is oxidizing a bit there because they're just used and they just, you know, they don't really care. It's like, as long as it performs, that's what it's all about. And that's what I learned early on with my father was you see these cars and they're like, oh, right. So why aren't they shiny and like precious jewels like in the museums? So, well, it's race shit. You know, it's got to be ready to go. Yeah. It's, it's like they, they become art when they've crashed, right? Like, cause you, like I said, you have that, you hang it on the wall. Like I would, I mean, that's the reason, you know, people pay lots of money for famous crashed race car parts and hang them on the wall somewhere. Right. Like that's, you know, it, it becomes an artistic piece and a story well, and you remember where or where that happened and the story behind it. I've got two wheels in my studio. One is off a rally cross car. They're both like copper motor wheels, right? One is like, it's used, it's got a, like a, it's a cam block wheel. It's, it's used, it's got like, you know, rubber, it's all, you know, I've got two wheels for you, right? One is that one. And the other one is one from the burnt out Cosworth that's melted. Right? So it's not even a wheel. It's like half a wheel and it's all like distorted. Yeah. So which wheel do you want? You're going to want the one that's got the history, but that's not even a wheel anymore because it's got yeah. a story. And that one is a wheel. The wheel is a wheel is a wheel. So that's why race cars are great. And that's why seeing them, be damaged and you know that's why they always live they can live on so well Talk, talking race cars and race events what's like your you know what do you love to go see because there's nothing back home like the nascar stuff but then obviously the formula one out here in austin isn't the same as silverstone like what what, what about you know on, the, on your travels and experiences if you just any stories from that um i mean it's difficult to compare anything i mean Motorsport generally these days isn't about watching the race. It's about the corporate element of it to a certain degree. So you have to be a real fan to spend the money and the time on the time off to go to a race because you have to have a lot of dedication to camp and spend three days or spend a lot of time in traffic. So good times. Probably the best things is like the Goodwood Festival of Speed. Like I mentioned a few times, it's like, it's like Coachella for cars, you know, it's like, it's every time I go, it amazes me what you can see there. You can, you can touch every car, you can smell every car, you can, you can experience things better than a racetrack because you're so intimate with it. Um, and no matter what you're into, what kind of pervert you are, they've got everything there for you, whether it's full on X works rally cars, um, iconic Porsche rail tails, Le Mans cars, you name it, concept cars, it's got everything. And it, it almost makes me feel sick when I go there because it's like it's too much to take in. Um, and that's without all the sort of corporate stuff where they've got all the new cars, all the new BMWs, all the new whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm trying to something else. Um, uh, the revival with a race historic cars is pretty good. Um, um, but I, most motorcycle is kind of what I mainly do. So I race flat track, vintage flat track in the UK and do, I do a bit of enduros in the States and a few rallies, but it's just 
it's cheaper to participate in motorcycle sport than cars, obviously, for that whole transport, transporting tires and that sort of thing. So that that endurance race was what was the Vegas to LA? Was it? That's Barstow Vegas. It's like a sort of historic historic race. It's not really a race that you've got to finish within the time, but it's not like you know neck and neck sort of thing. But like a rally. Yeah, I've been. Uh, I'm supposed to do the um, there's, there's a Baja Rally Mint. 400 yeah uh that was supposed to be in april i think and i was going to do that on a bike and obviously 2020 smashed that up so um we can look look back back at that hopefully but um you know i'm looking at a ford escort mark one now and it's like so tempting in terms of doing some sort of classic classic racing or finding a competition car because in the uk i don't know what it is but I always thought America would be cheap to buy cars, but it always seems more expensive than you, than you think. And yeah, you could buy a race track Porsche 944 for like £4,000 here. It's like, this access to cars is so is so easy. Yeah. Well, and access to good driving roads as well is much easier than it is out here too, because everything's just straight lined. And unless you're in LA or wherever, like it's, what what's in the garage for bikes and cars and then what 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 do you want that's that, what you know what would you like um what would you say what's in my inventory is that what you're asking yeah what's in the garage right now and then what's like in the garage right now okay i got um um two three about six bikes six or seven bikes um and a series from 67 uh, triumph like a little bobber to like motocross, bike, um, um, commando, Norton commando. So like a lot of vintage stuff and just things that sort of take my fancy. I got monkey bike, a new monkey bike. It's just fun. It's usually like fun bikes. Um, Evo, I got a transport van. I got a transit van. It's my work van. Um, E61. What's that? That's the five series estate. Sort of the last two, two, two editions ago. Um, looking at a Defender at the minute, like a 110 Defender, which for some reason the mayor has just got really like Defenders in there. Um, but I like Broncos, so it's kind of like, yeah. 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 Um, I'd like a sort of 964. That's probably, I mean, you can go on and on, but like I'd be I'd quite like a 964 as a, as a car, and it's a cliche and it's like designed to at once a Porsche but um, but again I got the Evo at the minute and it's so fun it's kind of it's hard having more than one motorcycle because you don't ride them so, so I'd imagine it's the same with the cars it's just like a bit pointless having um, cars you can't drive all the time yeah is there any of the cars that your dad had that you'd like to have back if you could have one or two of them Renault 5 Turbo 2 do you know that one? Yeah. So, yeah. With pretty That's money. the one that got away. Yeah. Uh, it's worth decent money now, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's worth decent money. It's a really good fun car. That's, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, that's probably the one. Well, the 911s was pretty good as well. It was like an RS thing. But yeah. I think it, did, I think it was a bit of a dodgy deal because he didn't have it very long. It was like, you had it for two weeks. It's like, was that Porsche gone? I was like, ah, you know. <laughs> Dodgy bastard. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, it's it's, it's um, nothing modern. Nothing really modern interests me at the minute. Um, yeah, I quite like the new defenders actually. I quite like them. Yeah, I haven't seen one in person yet. It's just in pictures, and I mean they seem nice, but you just can't beat the old ones, can you? I saw a picture of it. Yeah. You mentioned one ten. There's a place in Iceland that like rents them out to people going on holiday. And it just looks massive snow tires, huge arches. It just looks like the best thing ever. Uh, it might just be cool. Yeah, they, they're wicked. They do the best lifts in, in uh, lifted vehicles in Iceland. I'm saying they do. Um, if you look, if you Google like Iceland expedition van, they do these like Ford line vans, but like such so lifted and just beautiful proportions. They just get it right. They just look straight. It doesn't look at monster energy sort of style at all. It's very like ah, oh, it's just stylish. Do a really good job. So finishing up, what's what's next? I mean, I know it said on the schedule you got a show in out here. Supposed to have a show out here this year. That I assume that's not happening. No, no. Oh, I did. Well, yeah. No, I was. I doing something in. Um, Oh, that's what I've just done. I forgot about that. I just did a car for an artist in New York. That's what I've literally just finished doing. And um, so it was, it was, that was a Porsche 930 mm-hmm. Turbo. And it looks like the Apple car, the Apple 935 or 96. Nine, I don't even know what it's called now. The, the Porsche Apple car, the the Jewish car. Um, so I was supposed to be doing a show with that and some work in Brooklyn, but we got COVID and I had to fly out because um, a day later they were shutting the flights to back to America. So I had to scramble out of there. Yeah. So it was sad. But there you go. Um, so at the minute, um, not a lot you can do at the minute because it's just doing work and just doing new pieces of work and um, um, I've just my galleries I own the gallery as well so I've, we've started to move a lot of stuff online so then doing print sales and things like that so I'm trying to live digitally for the minute but um, um, yeah just we're just waiting to see as everybody is with everything just waiting to see what's next really and how, how to move forward yeah. Where, yeah. where can people listening um, see your work? Is it just at the website and buy your prints? Just on the website is, it's not quite up to date, but there's some interesting things you can see to show the scope of this kind of work I do. Um, Instagram at Despray. Um, my gallery is hmelectric.gallery. Okay. I'll check that out and I'll um, put can, those uh, below and everyone can click on those links. Yeah, you can, um, yeah, you can, um, there's a few prints I've just done there. It's kind of like motorsport inspired as well. So yeah. I think your audience might like them. Yeah, definitely. Well, mate, I really appreciate your time. Um, thanks for coming on the podcast, sharing some stories and some unique stories and your perspective of, you know, all, working all the way through just what you've done and, you know, growing up in a rally car basically. And then, you know, working for one of the most famous, if not the, at the current time, the most famous driver in the world, Ken Block, the whole team, and just moving forward. So really well, you know, thank you for that. And then uh, everyone listening, thanks for checking in. And we'll catch you next episode. Cheers.